0: hey my friends welcome to the podcast thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out this episode really truly means the world to me appreciate you guys for being here i'm really blessed and honored to be able to welcome to the podcast today angelia valenti who is a sex trafficking survivor Um, she was brought into the world of sex trafficking as a teenager um, having gone through and experienced sexual abuse all throughout her childhood she shares her story And um, it's really, really intense, but uh, really, really shows that in the midst of even intense darkness and the most hopeless of situations, there is always hope. And so she shares about her story and she shares about the freedom that she is now walking in and even helping others to experience as well, helping others to experience freedom and healing in their life after being victims of sex trafficking to now being survivors and knowing what that freedom is, as she serves as an assessment coordinator for the organization Selah Freedom, a faith-based anti-human trafficking organization based in the Tampa, Florida area. And uh, Stacey Efall, the executive director of Selah Freedom, was on the podcast a few months back, a couple of months back. If you didn't catch that episode, I encourage you to go back and check it out. And uh, she set up this conversation today with Angelia so just trigger warning of course we're talking about sexual abuse and trauma we're talking about sex trafficking it's a little bit of a dark conversation for a little while but there's a beautiful beautiful light at the end of the tunnel as we start talking about Angelia's experience of coming into Selah Freedom she's actually a graduate of Selah Freedom so she went through the program and experienced freedom for herself walking through the journey of even learning how to forgive her trafficker and to forgive those that sexually abused her, even from a young age. And uh, it's just a really, really beautiful story of redemption and freedom and healing. So once again, welcome to the podcast. And please join me in welcoming to the podcast for the first time, Angelia Valenti. All right. So Angelia Valenti, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really honored to have you on the podcast today. So just thank you so much for agreeing to be here and to share your story with us today.
1: It's an honor to be here and I appreciate you having me.
0: And I, I, I do just want to point out, um, I had to to just make sure I was saying it correctly a minute ago, but Angelia Valenti, that's just, it's, your name is so much fun to say. So that's that's always fun. That's just, that's always helpful to me. Like right at the beginning of the podcast when the guest just has a really cool name it's just, I don't know what it is, but for me, it's just a little bit of an excitement factor when I just get to say your name and introduce you. It's just, it's just fun. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you didn't have much to do with that yourself, but thanks for having an awesome name.
1: <laughs>
0: All right, so the other cool thing about this, uh, that I, I think I have a little bit of a, of a unique uh, situation today in, in that I'm kind of interviewing you for this, this conversation that we're having, but I really don't know your story. So I know the bullet points of, uh, of some things that we're gonna talk about here, but I'm, I'm really kind of blessed and honored to be in this position to be able to have this conversation with you and to be in a position where I'm getting to hear your story for the first time. This is the first conversation that you and I are having together other than some emails back and forth. And so again, I'm grateful for you being here and uh, and I'm grateful for you, uh, just uh, your willingness to to come on and to share your story. So you are a, a human trafficking survivor, and you currently work with Selah Freedom. And we had the executive director of Selah, Stacey Efa, was on the podcast uh, maybe a couple of months ago or something like that. And so she kind of brokered this relationship and this conversation that you and I are having today. So shout out to Stacy, shout out to Selah and everything that you guys are doing over there. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Well, first of all, before we get into the the real stuff. Where did you grow up?
1: Tampa, Florida.
0: You did grow up in Tampa. Okay. And so Tampa is really where, um, say Freedom is, is based. That's where the, the headquarters of operations is, correct?
1: Sarasota.
0: Sarasota. Okay. Beautiful beach out there in Sarasota. And you guys just came through a hurricane. So thank you for reminding me of that a minute ago. And I'm super glad you guys are still here. What what, did you guys have, uh, you personally, your family, did you guys experience any problems or crazy weather or anything?
1: Uh, We got evacuated for the flood zone because of the Mm. the storm surge, but um, we were very blessed. Um, Nothing tragic or anything that was going to harm the survivors or the safe houses in any way.
0: Have you been evacuated before? I imagine probably have living where you live. Yeah. So that wasn't a new experience, but that's... uh, that's gotta be interesting. It's gotta feel a little bit apocalyptic in some sense, right?
1: <laughs> um, I I don't know. I've been born and raised. So it's like another, it's a norm for
0: me. It's a normal thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I gotcha. All right. Let's let's jump into this. How old were you when you were for first introduced to, or maybe a better way to say it is pulled into? this world of of sex trafficking and actually being trafficked. About how old were you when that started?
1: Um, I started getting groomed, I would say, at the age of 13. I was actually Mm. began to get sold for sex at 17.
0: The grooming process, you said, started as early as 13.
1: I have to correct that. I think it all plays into each other. So the fact that I had childhood sexual abuse, which what we found is the root of a lot of survivors, Mm. and that was as early as three. And I endured that until I was 12. Um, Wow. Also come from generations of, of survivors and watched my sister get trafficked at 10. So that also was part of the grooming process. Um, it was normalized. It was actually glorified. Um, huh. but it wasn't until I turned twelve that i I turned to the streets.
0: okay. So uh, I'm really glad you you said that. Um that's something that came out in the conversation I had with Stacy. Something that i've I'd say recently become more uh, just increasingly aware of is the fact that a lot of victims of of trafficking that, it does kind of have its roots in a background of essay or, or sexual abuse. So, and you said that for you, that started at the age of three. Correct. Can you, I mean, as much as you're comfortable sharing, can you kind of talk, talk through us? Cause, cause again, it, it does seem to be a, a, unfortunately very, you know, like foundational component of, or a precursor we could say, to a lot of uh, people who do end up getting pulled into being trafficked and, and sold for sex, that sexual abuse is so often at the at the root or the foundation of that. Can you share a little bit about your story and just kind of what that was like for you? And then we can kind of get into how that, that transition took place of that to actually getting uh, ultimately sold uh, in the sex trafficking industry. So going through that, what was your experience there?
1: It's unfortunate because it is too often at the first hands that are supposed to protect you and keep you safe. Um, it started with my brother and by the end, mm. before I ran, it was my father. Um, mm. I was forced to keep that secret, I felt shameful, I felt dirty, and I had no boundaries. I was under the impression this is the only way that I'm to give and receive love, like this is, mm. this is my worth
0: would you say that it's that it became because i mean starting at such a young age and and enduring through really all of your childhood years would you say that i mean did it get to the point for you where it started to feel normal like it was just life it was the way things were or yeah i mean i don't know like how did you kind of reconcile that in your mind as a kid something that you can't really ever be okay with but but i'm just curious like if it just seemed like okay this is how life is kind of a thing to you
1: i thought it was normal um and god rest my grandfather's soul um he was the first man that actually gave me any indication that it wasn't i remember Mm. i was probably like eight or ten years old and we were swimming and i reached for his private area and um, I was hmm. I, a child. I thought, that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. And wow. he filled, his eyes filled up with tears. And he grabbed hmm. me and he said, no, no, baby. And that <laughs> was the first time that I realized that anything was wrong. And that shame and guilt just overflowed.
0: Looking back now, of course, you're probably very unaware of a lot of things being a kid are there things that uh, obviously that right there that thing that you just explained that happened with your grandfather for him thank the lord that like a you know huge red flag went up for him you know right away would you say like looking back were there like a bunch of red flags and things like that that maybe you were unaware of at the time but now like for somebody that maybe can see the way you know a child might be behaving or certain proclivities or propensities toward certain things, certain kinds of behavior. I heard a story just uh, just recently on another podcast that I was listening to, this little girl, well, she's a, an adult woman now, but she had been sexually abused as a kid. And one of the things that was like, people started to notice that was strange is that at a very young age, she was like dancing, but like very provocatively because she was explaining how she felt like that that's the way you get attention and and so she was sexualized from a young age without even you know really realizing that there was anything wrong with it and being in the midst of that as a kid you think it's all normal but kind of looking back on that are are there you know maybe certain behaviors and things that were going on ways that maybe you were acting that somebody could have you know or should have maybe seen that would say hey I think something might be going on here cuz cuz a lot of what I talk what I think about with this conversation is like there's a lot of this stuff that I feel like could be prevented or that we could, you know, it could be ended quicker than it is in a lot of situations by simply having more of an awareness about it. So is there anything like that? No, there's a long, long winded question.
1: Um, absolutely. I think in different <clears throat> stages of, of the essay, I remember being four years old and just laying there screaming cause it hurt to get into a bathtub. Um, like my, wow. my privates and, um, yeah. I know selah does a, an amazing job of doing prevention but they didn't have that or that opportunity or that training and awareness and i love being able to speak and help spread awareness to other survivors to adults to being that safe person um mm. i was blessed that my grandfather was that safe person and um that was that was a good indicator so for that Next year, before he passed away, he held me close. Um, I think mm. it—it's unfortunate, especially for people that don't know how to say something. If they see something, say something. Come on. That's—that's that's usually the biggest drawback. Um, what is it going to hurt? If that child mm. is okay, awesome. You did your due diligence to make sure that they're protected. If it's not, you might be ch- you might be changing that child's life for the mm. better.
0: Wow. So then, um, walk us through what was kind of the the transition like, or or what happened that at the you know where at the age of thirteen you said you were starting to be groomed to be sold for sex. What happened there? What was your experience like?
1: Um, from the age of 10 until I was 12, I was my biological father's surrogate wife. So I was already groomed to be a wife. I'd already had that seed planted that this, is, this isn't right. Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. How does that work? You said you were your biological father's surrogate wife, meaning that you were being groomed into, into that position, essentially
1: cleaning the house, balancing the checkbook, Mm. sexual desires, things that a 10 year old, (laughs) sorry, things that a 10 year old shouldn't do. So I I ran away and uh, turning to the streets, thinking I was taking my power back, Mm. not realizing the men in their late thirties buying me gifts and grooming me and taking me to these homes where they have many women, just offering, um, a better life. I, I met the man that would become my husband and my trafficker at 13. Uh, he, he also promised me love, protection, safety, and it was extremely abusive. I Mm. had children with him. I, Mm. I, I thought that this is marriage. And again, you're supposed to please your man. And I was already groomed to be a wife, so I became a wife at 18. I started getting trafficked in an escort in strip clubs as early as 17s. I could pass for 18 at that age. Mm-hmm. Then he had me exchange sexual, sexual favors because he demanded more money.
0: Hmm. What age were you when you ran away? I was 12 up until that point with everything else that that was going on having that position as a child in your home obviously the cooking or the cleaning the balancing the checkbook the of course the sexual favors and all of that kind of stuff that obviously is not the the lifestyle for any child to have outside of that did you have a fairly normal life like as far as you know school and friends and and that sort of thing or did you have like a somewhat normal childhood outside of the home or did that cause you to kind of like isolate yourself or what was what was that like for you
1: my biological father was very very abusive even to my mom mm-hmm. um and all of my siblings and he, i grew up for many years with a single mom that was, it was poverty stricken like we we didn't we didn't have a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it was my biological father who who would tell me you know just come live with me and it was that same almost like now that i look back it's almost like grooming come live with me better life and your mom doesn't want you she she never had time for you and I I see it now. I didn't see it then.
0: Sure, and then so when you run away from home, where did you run to?
1: The streets. That's how I found these these older men, who were basically exploiting me and predators. I just I just went in love.
0: Hmm. So they provided you like with a place to stay or something like that, and then meanwhile they're grooming you or they're.
1: The sexual favors I, I i i didn't realize them having to have sex with me was exploitation not love <laughs> mm. i didn't know what love was
0: yeah so being in that in that environment you're a kid you know that your home situation is so bad that it actually caused you to run away you go to the streets but having this upbringing where that was a as you you know as you said earlier that sexual exploitation really became a normal part of your life now you're out on the street and you find somebody that can offer you maybe a place to stay maybe some money some food something like that right yes and in in exchange you're having to you're being sexually exploited but you didn't see it that way because it was something that you had grown accustomed to essentially right
1: right i was desensitized this was a norm Everybody in my life that said they loved me hurt me in one way or another. Hmm.
0: Did that become a situation where now you were living with with a man, or was it multiple men or or what was that what was it, going on there?
1: Um, I wasn't ready to commit to exploitation. Um, even though I didn't grow up in the church, like i I always wanted to know God, and I always wanted to do things right. So the man that I met at thirteen, I married at eighteen because I I became pregnant, and I had this mm. distorted idea that if nobody in this world loved me, I could create a human, and that human would love me. Wow. I didn't know God. I didn't know mm. I didn't know a better life. I I you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So, um, and that was with with my first trafficker.
0: Okay you said that was at the age of 13
1: when i met him i got um, when you met him yeah and he started exploiting me at, and there was a lot of physical abuse but it was mm-hmm. around 17 that it was actually sexual favors uh dancing in strip clubs escorting to the point where he would be my doorman he would sit outside mm-hmm. of a of an, of of a date and make sure that I got the money, and if it wasn't what he wanted, I would get beat, horrifically. Like, I just wanted, Mm. I thought this was my husband.
0: One one of the things that I learned from Stacy that I didn't know prior to the conversation that we had is that of the vast majority of of strippers are actually being trafficked. Like, there's some aspect of it where they're doing it against their will, they're, that the majority of them are not just there because they want to do it, because they need the money, because they, you know, whatever. Of course, money is, is you know, money is very often a, a factor, but it's not just this thing where they're doing it by choice, right? Even if it maybe started that way or whatever the case may be, like maybe it started off where there was a, a choice that was made or something like that. But that was something that really surprised me—that I just was completely unaware of. And one of the things that we talked about in that episode is like, you know, I would have to imagine that if let, I'm just going to talk about about men, if the if all of the men in this country were suddenly made aware of that reality, that at least some of the you know strippers, if they're they're the kind of men that frequent strip clubs, at least some of the women up on those stages that they're seeing there are being trafficked against their will i would have to imagine i would like to think i would really love to to believe that a lot of the men hopefully the majority of of the men in this country would realize like all right i can't participate in this anymore i don't know for sure if that's the case i would hope that that's the case but that was just something really eye opening to me that i was just completely unaware of and so that started for you at about the age of 17. Okay. Correct. <clears throat> and that was just something that at that point you had gotten, you had been through this process of grooming where now it was just kind of like, you know, it wasn't as, I imagine it probably wasn't something you wanted to do, but you felt like you had to do it. It was just, you know, what, what was that? How was, how does that work? Like just like the, the psychology of that to suddenly be put into a position where you have to do this. Like, what is the, what's the mechanism in place there? What is the, is it just like a psychological kind of a uh, control that this person has over you? Are they threatening you in some way? Like what is the situation there that's taking
1: place? It, it, it's everything. Um, it, it's the control, the, the grooming and they know like whenever, um, at least for my situation, that. There was no way I had enough courage to walk in and start stripping at 17. And he was smart Mm. enough to know, hey, my friend who's also trafficking his girlfriend, works at this club. She's going to take you under her wing. Um, Mm. And I knew that there were going to be repercussions. I knew that this was a dangerous man to the Mm -hmm. point where um, I fast forward like. I, I have, I have a child, I have children with him, but he's in yeah. prison for manslaughter because the girl that he got with after me, he, he beat the death. So I, I wow. knew what capability he had even at a young age.
0: How long did that go on for? So from, you know, essentially around the age of 17 and 18, how many years was it that you were, you know, really involved in being sold for sex?
1: It was many years i when i was pregnant um with my second child i i didn't i refused at the end i didn't i didn't want to escort i didn't want to go on dates i felt dirty i felt nasty um and he would have me do different things like pawns stolen goods i was i was really blessed that i ended up in a courtroom and not dead Selah yeah. did an amazing job of training law enforcement in the judicial system mm. a judge like that means mm. that you need Selah freedom
0: so what you're saying is it, th- that's how you got hooked up with Salah as you were arrested
1: yes i was rescued. Um, <laughs> i know some yeah. some survivors don't like that but for me it, it definitely was life or death
0: hmm. and so you were you were you were rescued at what age 32. Really? Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. And uh, I was able to become the person I like to believe I was always destined to be. I had wraparound services. I got trauma therapy for that that childhood yucky stuff. I was able to go to college, graduate with honors. I have full custody of my children. I got to watch my daughter graduate, my son. It's still wow. a work in progress. So we're working on that. I had a, an amazing employment with another community partner and started volunteering. It was the volunteers mm. that uh, and just say, Let. restored my faith in humanity. Like, could people exist? This is awesome. And That's so uh, cool. Came on staff.
0: Wow.
1: I worked my way up to lead and a lead advocate. And now I am coordinator and I get to run their assessment home for other survivors first coming into the program.
0: That's incredible. So at 32, having lived a a nightmare, I mean, uh, I mean, just a lifetime of just, just nightmare and after nightmare trauma after trauma, you know, first perpetuated by people in your own family who of course are the ones that are supposed to be your safe place and your protection and your security and really help you develop. I mean, you know, help you develop your identity and your outlook on life and all this kind of stuff. But then, you know, of of course it, it took a totally different, much darker turn. I would just imagine the, the psychological aspect, the psychological abuse that goes into, you know, now when you're in your teenage years and these men are coming into your life that are essentially, I guess, that grooming process, right? Like promising you certain things and kind of setting themselves up to make you feel like, oh, they're going to be there for me. They're going to take care of me. They're going to be the father figure that I didn't have before. They're going to be that that, scent, that source of hope or, or, you know, whatever it might be, right? Because of just that manipulation that that goes on there and then you know essentially just living just all of these years just in darkness was was there was there times in there where just felt totally hopeless you felt like this was life forever like what did that feel like just being in the midst of that for so long
1: absolutely I prayed for that and Hmm. I know that was so sad um I I'm I'm blessed that I I didn't get it of course but yeah. I didn't know any other way out. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think there was a way out. Like this is, <laughs> my trafficker would always tell me, "No one will ever love you, like me, hmm. or except for me. This is all wow. that you'll ever be good for." Like it was a mental conditioning and control. And if I want to see my children, this is what I'm gonna do. This is how many men I'm gonna do. Like there was always a quota. There was always a yeah. stipulation
0: okay so wow that that's an oh, man that's an incredible manipulation tool so because at this point you have kids right so you, you have kids that are because i was curious if you were if you were raising them if you were with them throughout all these years so so that's what you're saying now you you were with them but they would be held back from you unless you performed the acts that you were being forced to do
1: and it got really bad i was um i was really blessed that why i went through the of freedom program my mother uh it cared for them so i could get that healing mm. and they're back at home we're reunited better yeah. than ever um, yeah. and i've used the of freedom curriculum to stop to train my my daughter my daughter's autistic and uh, she went on a, a something as simple as a horseland game with a chat room that's made and designed for kids. That okay. predators were actually pursuing her and per- pretending Jeez. to be thirteen-year-olds, asking for pictures. And but she she had that awareness. She knew that was not okay. We had wow. very open conversations.
0: Wow! Yeah, and, good for you.
1: They know their dads my trafficker. Um, It took many years. I gave them age-appropriate communication. I said, Mm. hey, your dad made some really bad choices. He's in prison. Um, It wasn't until they were older, and they were ready, and they asked. And It took me a long time to put that to the side. Like, he's still somebody to them. He's still their father. He's my trafficker. to give a lot of grace and forgiveness and a lot of soul searching yeah therapy <laughs> therapy yeah sure
0: <laughs> thank God for that judge that said hey you need Selah Freedom so after all these years you're introduced to Selah Freedom what was your experience like with Selah how how long was the program as far as like the healing and recovery process and and uh, yeah, just what what was it like for you? What can you what can you say about it? Um, I'm sure you have incredible things to say about it because now you're part of the organization and you're helping yeah. other people, you know, do the same and all of that. So if you could just tell a little bit about the experience of moving from that world of darkness into this world of of going through this process of healing and transformation and just under finally understanding who you really are and your real actual identity and not what these exploiters had been presenting to you for all these years. Yeah, what, could, what would you just share about that?
1: You are right. I, I absolutely love the organization um, and the way that it's structured. It's very trauma informed and strength based. Mm. When you come into the program, uh, they have an assessment house. That's the house I'm over now. But Selah is from biblical term, and it's from the Bible whenever you see breaks in, in paragraphs, it means to pause. Mm -hmm. So Salem means to pause, rest, to reflect. That first home I went to was beautiful. Um, I didn't understand. People were walking up and asking me, how am I doing? There was no hidden agenda or motive. Yeah. It was, it was, it was love. It was welcoming. It was completely, it was completely life-changing. I went to the long-term phase, Um, they did life with me. They wrapped me around support. They helped me start communication with my family, um, my children. They were there at every turn, every turn, uh, if I was triggered, if I had night terrors, like I Mm -hmm. always had these amazing people in my corner telling me I was worth so much more. I didn't believe it. I didn't know. Yeah. For 32 years, I didn't even know my favorite color when I came into the program. Mm -hmm. I was able to go to college. I I surprised myself with graduating with honors. And my kiddos were holding signs (laughs) at my graduation saying, that's my mom.
0: Wow. Come on.
1: I have so... I can't speak high enough. Anyone-
0: hey, lost you for a second there. I'm
1: sorry.
0: No, you're fine. No, I don't think it was you because I went out to it was just the whole thing just kind of reset there for a second. But we're still recording. So the last thing that I heard you say uh, clearly before it started getting wonky was um, that uh, you, your kids were at your graduation uh, from college, you know, with signs and saying, that's my mom. That was the last thing that I heard. So that's such a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: I got to meet, I couldn't go back and change how I had lived. But I could show my children a better mother because of Sailor freedom. One mm. that is accountable, reliable, and can change their outcome so they're not victims of sex trafficking or abuse. And that yeah. has been impactful and powerful because they... Selah didn't just change my life. They definitely changed their lives as well.
0: One of the things that really impresses me about what Selah does, and you just alluded to it, is how, how thorough they are in the process of actually seeing somebody fully restored to the point that they'll help people through the process of getting into a college or, or through the process of getting their driver's license if they were never able to do that. Or, you know, having these kind of taking them through to actually experience life and things that, you know, being stuck in that world where you're thinking, man, like, if this is the rest of my life, I'm never going to experience this. I'm never going to experience that. I'm never going to have this. And so the way that they come around you to really give you the community to help, you know, reformulate the way that you see yourself, the way you see the world. So you can start to learn how to trust people you like all of it, but then also like the practicality of like, we're going to help you really live. We're going to help you really, you know, get back on your feet. And I just love the way I was like holding back tears for a second there when you were just talking about the just the the love and the warmth, you know, by which they they came around you. I'm curious for you, you know, having lived your your life in a very different place than that. And then having these people come around you and actually like show you love, what was that like for you? Did you respond to that right away, or was there this thing on the inside of you that was like, "What do these people want from me?" Like that kind of thing. Like this is not this is not normal. These people can't be sincere. Like what was going on on the inside of you when you started to enter into that new world?
1: Absolutely. Um, it was <clears throat> everybody had a hidden agenda or a motive. And Mm. when I came into the program, it was, okay. you get paid to be here. So I was still skeptical. I was waiting. Um, And that's why earlier I mentioned the volunteers. Once I started seeing the volunteers come in and I still I was like, okay. even though you get paid, you show me love. Like, there is genuine care that is behind these questions and this support. Like, this is different. I actually gave them, I, I let down my walls and I began to trust and trust the process of growing and <laughs> what Sayla is and what they stand for. And I, I took what they saw in me as truth, even though I didn't see it yet.
0: Mm, it's amazing. What would you say? I mean, for somebody that is coming out of, this world where either they've been trafficked or they've been abused or they've experienced some kind of, you know, intense trauma along those lines where it is difficult to trust somebody. It is difficult to think that this person could actually be loving me for me without trying to, you know, without having their own agenda and without trying to get something out of me on the back end because that's what you, you've been showed, that's the reality of life that's been presented to you over and over again. So of course, you build up defenses inside yourself and you build up walls and, you know, you you build up these things to kind of like keep people out because you know that you've been hurt before when you've let people in. So I, I've, I'm kind of thinking about this on on both ends. Let me say this, like what what would you say, having experienced it personally And now being on the other end of it, too, as the assessment coordinator there and being able to interact with people that are coming into their freedom out of this sex trafficking industry, just in terms of sensitivity and in terms of empathy and in terms of like to actually interact with that person, because I would imagine that, you know, pity isn't helpful. And I would imagine that, uh, you know, like, you know, like, there's a lot of things that we would probably that the average person might just be inclined to do, like how to talk to that person, how to treat that person, that would be just like totally just wrong, because of the the lack of understanding of what's actually going on inside of that person. So, what's just something that that's been helpful maybe for you in walking with people? from those early moments where, you know, there, there is a lot of stuff that just needs to be overhauled on the inside. But at the same time, like, I don't want to put them in a position where they feel like a project or where they feel like, you know, whatever, just like bringing people into that place where you want to show love and you want to show them that they're accepted and that they're cared for and that they have a place of honor and that they're valued But at the same time, knowing that they're going to have a hard time accepting this probably for a while, like what is the posture or the attitude or the the way that we could like truly come alongside people that have gone through real trauma like that to like walk them through without maybe like repelling them with our own like ignorance.
1: (laughs) So I, I think most important is love's an action word, right? Um, a lot of times, you hear, especially survivors, the word lo- love has been thrown around. So
0: yeah, yeah,
1: they get to count your actions, um, and it's it's a lot of what some of what you say, but it's a lot of what you do, how you feel. Mm. Um, giving pity to survivors, it's not going to serve them. Cela Freedom has curriculum. Mm that talks about the difference between victim thinking and empowered thinking. Mm. When you think Love about it. a survivor, they've gone through some of the darkest moments and survived. That's why we call them survivors. Um, yeah. They have a lot of the strengths. They just, they don't realize it yet. They've been told quite the contrary.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Let's talk for a minute here about forgiveness. You mentioned it earlier and man, I know it's something that I, as a pastor, something that I teach about a lot, um, something, of course, Jesus talked about uh, as something really, really important and really essential in our lives. We're not really given, in terms of like from the biblical perspective, we're not really given the option to not forgive because it's like, I've forgiven you. And so now it's like, there's this requirement that we have as you know, for those who are walking with the Lord, to say, uh, you know, I'm going to forgive others, th- not, not because they deserve it, not because I'm trying to act like everything they did is okay, not because of any of that kind of stuff, but, but because of really of who I am. And I think when you're able to actually get to that point where you're willing to forgive and you're able to start walking through that process of forgiving people for the trauma that they've caused you, that that really is kind of like a new level of your growth and your transformation and your healing process. And so I'm just curious, I'm always curious about this with people that have, you know, gone through real trauma at the hands of others, particularly those that are supposed to be the ones to be there for you, to nurture you, to protect you, um, to be a, you know, a source of safety and strength for you. And being that you have, specific people in your life it wasn't just it wasn't just like random men and it was like people that were figures in your life for a very long period of time that there's like people with names and faces that you have to actually forgive and walk through that process i'm just i'm so curious about like how you were how you dealt with all of that and and how you walked through that process of being able to come to that place in your life to forgive?
1: I think um, what helped me come to terms, it, it didn't make any of it provable, was, kn- mm. was knowing that they had their own trauma. Like somebody mm. hurt them or affected them for them to become like that. Um, usually people that are affected from trauma, they're either gonna be the abuser or they're gonna be the victim. Um, I had to know that my father came from a very abusive home and somebody had abused him. Um, Still doesn't make it right, but I understood. I knew what I didn't want to be. I knew the conversations I needed to have to protect my children. and. I think the hardest one for me was, was my ex-husband because sometimes you can forgive people and walk away. This is one that I have to learn to eventually cope with, mm. with my abuser Wow, and that's hard, but it's not for him. It's for my children and wow. I know a lot of people didn't understand don't understand Like if this is your trafficker, press charges. But if God can restore me, maybe he can restore him.
0: And just like internally, I mean, uh, I, I love what, what, you, what you said there about having that perspective of being able to say, well, yeah, most people that cause trauma for others, it's because they've themselves experienced trauma. So I think being able to have that perspective of, as you said, it doesn't make any of it okay. It's definitely not permissible. It's definitely not passable. But it does kind of give you a sense of understanding just of the psychology behind how this person could do that. But then there's still this thing on the inside of you where you have to make that choice and that decision to walk in that. And again, I do agree with you. I think it is very different when you're forgiving somebody who's completely out of your life that you're never going to see or hear from again, and then walking through forgiveness with somebody who you still have to have them in your life to some extent. Okay. And so, um, would you say that it's a that it's a it's a process? It's not just a one-time thing. Like, oh, I forgive this person, and then and then it's over. It's like no. Every time I hear this person's name, I want to like murder him or like whatever but it's like this this kind of like ongoing process of um choosing i, I don't know would you call it a choice like what what would you call it I, I i personally believe it's like it's the choice to forgive that is the most important thing and and over time you learn to i i think a lot of it is just that willingness that i'm going to forgive this person i'm choosing to walk and forgive this but that doesn't mean That all of a sudden I I have nothing but good feelings in me for this person. Like there's something that I'm working through, right?
1: It's definitely a choice. um, And it's not easy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, he's in in prison for manslaughter. He had eight years. And um, at first when my daughter, because my daughter is autistic and she's older than my son, came to me and said, I want to know my dad. I want to talk to him. Um, my heart fell. It shattered. Like, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to separate my trauma and my hurt? And at first, the only thing I did was cry. I cried. I was like, what do I do? Hmm. Um, Blessed that Selah did help me walk through that with therapy, even after being out of the program. Um, And my therapist told me, this is the best place
0: for your children to know
1: him because it keeps them safe and you safe. Mm. And I thought, you know what, that's genius. Cause he's right. And the letter came in and it was the same manipulation. Oh, mm. I I miss you and your brother. Tell your mama. I still love her. Tell your wow. mom. I, and, and, and I would just be crippled with fear all over again. Um, and it, it progressed and I learned over those years what boundaries were and how to set those and feel strong enough to stand behind them. Um, And then also put in guardrails like if or when your father gets out, this is how you're going to have to see them. It's not, yeah, it's preventative measure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really important because Again, forgiveness doesn't mean that, you know, you're sanctioning what the person did. It certainly doesn't mean that God, you know, it, people people would some sometimes think that it's it'd be cruel for God to expect us to forgive when what they did was so wrong. It, it's not God saying what they did was OK. It's not you admitting that what they did was OK. None of it was OK. It was absolutely not OK. But at the end of the day, you're not forgiving them for them. You're not forgiving them because they deserve it you said i'm forgiving them for for my kids you know and ultimately like i'm forgiving them too i mean there's an element of it's for your own freedom it's for mm-hmm. your own good because as long as you allow that resentment and that that fear and that stuff that this person has caused you to kind of hang over your head even if you think it's not it's going to affect certain aspects of your life it's going to affect mm-hmm. certain aspects i believe in the way that you form new relationships and Things like that. So being able to 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 actually forgive somebody, it's more it's so empowering for you because it's making the choice like I'm not going to let this past trauma be the thing that that controls me, that that, that hangs over me. I'm not going to let this person have that that power over me anymore. Like, yeah, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let this thing go. It doesn't mean that there's not, you know, because in some cases, yeah, there's going to be jail time. In some cases, there's going to be charges filed. There's going to be boundaries put up. There's going to be an ending of relationships. There's going to be protections and safeguards put in place. And none of that means that you're not walking in forgiveness. It's just walking in in wisdom that comes <laughs> that comes along with that.
1: Correct. So. And I love what you said. It's like taking your power back because that's mm-hmm. that's exactly how it feels. Like you are no longer going to control me.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, I heard this narrative and, uh, and we'll wrap this up. I, I heard this narrative that, you know, somebody was talking about, you know, taking your power back and there could be very perverted ways of doing that. Let me give you an example, coming out of like being trafficked to like, I'm gonna take my power back by going to OnlyFans. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take my power back by, you know, I'm going to be in charge here. I'm essentially, I'm going to be my own pimp and I'm not going to let, you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's negative ways, there's ways like in our flesh and, and, and humanity that we can say, well, I'm going to take my power back by doing something else. That's really only going to cause more trauma for me, but it makes me feel like I'm in this place. That was kind of an extreme example, by the way, the OnlyFans thing, but like, there's other ways that we
1: could do that it's very Um, accurate because once they get in that relationship and their partner sees that money or like they're they're leaving themselves still susceptible
0: yeah yeah but what you're saying is like no like i'm gonna take my power back (laughs) by actually like choosing to grow as a human like to to grow with, with my identity rooted and grounded in what God says about me and not what other people say. And you know, not in this kind of like other sick way uh, that's just going to result in more trauma, but I'm going to take my power back by doing something so counterintuitive as I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let this go and I'm going to actually stop. I'm not going to perpetuate this resentment. I'm going to bring an end to this. And again, that might be a process that takes a long time to actually get to the point where you actually feel okay when you hear that person's name mentioned or you know, whatever, where it doesn't trigger you um, necessarily, like when you remember something or whatever, like that's all a process. And however long that process takes, it might be, you know, months for some people, it might be years, it might be, it might be a long process for other people, but nobody should feel bad or feel ashamed or feel anything for being in a process of healing that takes time. The point is like, even with setbacks and everything else that happened along the way, like be moving toward, freedom be moving toward that that restoration because you mentioned angelia that like it felt very hopeless at times but um as your life can attest there is always hope
1: absolutely um yeah. i've met the most amazing people through of freedom and they definitely make sure every survivor's voice is powerful and heard uh, we mm-hmm. they even have a survivor advisory board, where they they take lived experience, and they ask what is triggering, how can we serve wow. these women better? Um, wow. So it it definitely has res- restored my my power for sure.
0: so good. Well, uh, Angelia, uh, just before I let you go, would you share? left Freedom's website, in case anybody might be interested in, in becoming more familiar with what you guys do, um, maybe even interested in uh, donating or partnering in some way or something like that. And then if there's any other websites or resources or anything that you'd like to share, uh, just take a moment and, uh, and do that if you would.
1: Absolutely. If you know anybody that needs a referral, we have a 24-hour hotline. It's one 888 8 free and then Selah Freedom's website is s e l a h f r e e d o m dot
0: com. Awesome! And for anybody watching, that uh, information will be flashing on your screen. Uh, if you are listening, I'll make sure that that information is in the show notes on the podcast platforms, so that you guys can uh, can check all those resources out. And I really, really encourage you to do so. Angelia, thank you so much for your time, your generosity with your time and also your generosity with uh, just opening your heart and sharing. Thank you. And uh, and thank you just uh, again, just as you stand even on behalf of Selah and for all the work that you guys are doing to help other people experience uh, freedom and healing in their lives. It's so needed what you all do. And um, just uh, very, very appreciative for the work that you're doing there. Well, thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen uh, to this episode. Appreciate you guys so much. Hope you have an awesome day. Make sure that you check out those resources. Selah Freedom is an awesome, awesome uh, organization with all they're doing to help in this fight to end uh, sex trafficking. And so just be aware and create as much awareness around this issue as you can. Because as we've mentioned before, this problem is allowed to thrive because so much of it lives in darkness. And the more that we can shed light into these dark areas, the more that that things are going to be exposed. And the more I think that we can work together in community to help people ultimately be free. Have an awesome rest of your day and week, and I'll see you next time.